0: Uh, So glad to be here. We're in the midst of a series called um, Everyday Jesus, where we're looking at how Jesus isn't just something for Sundays or someone for Sundays, but rather how Jesus intersects in all of our lives. We've been talking about a whole host of things over the past few weeks. We'll continue on for another few weeks, uh, but this morning we're going to talk about Work, really excited stuff. So I'm going to get your mind all ready for Monday. I mean, I want you to start by meditating on Monday morning and how delightful that's going to be. No, really, like meditate it out. Take the time you need. Like enjoy it. Just joking. I'm going to pray and uh, pray that the Lord removes Monday morning from your thoughts for just a little while. Lord, thank you uh, for being a great and powerful God. Thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you are a God for the everyday, that you're not limited to a few hours at at a gathering, but rather your presence is everywhere. Yet so often we don't experience it because, Lord, honestly, we want other things more than you. Not when, when we really think about it, but it's functionally how we live. Some of us are here and we don't even believe that you exist at all. We don't know how we made it here this morning. So Lord, would you saturate us with your presence today? Would you help us hear the good news of who you are and because of who you are and what you've done, who we are? Help us as we begin to talk about something that's really hard for us, work. How do we do it? Would you help us see what you have for us this morning? We love you and need you. Amen. So why do you work? Why do people work? Let's start with that question. Why do people work in the first place? Well, there's a whole host of reasons that people work. One could be for security, because if you don't have a job, you don't know how you're going to pay for something. Therefore, you want a job so that you feel secure. Right? Notice the feelings. If we have a job, we feel secure. We don't have a job, we don't feel secure. Secure, So work provides something for us. Maybe we, we work so that we can retire and really begin living. But it's really weird. We should retire before we get really old. It should be that you grow up, retire, and then start working. Because when you finally retire, like the bodies stop working the way that you want them to. You can't quite enjoy the beach the same anymore in a diaper. It's really sad. So uh, some of you work. Uh, for goals because you're very driven type a i'm going to get things done and you go to work every day with a task list and you accomplish that or don't but you have goals some of you work because you want power and you feel powerless in your neighborhood maybe in your home but when you go to work you matter and honestly this is why a lot of men go to work Because they don't feel appreciated in their home so often, but when they go to work, they feel like they matter. This is why a lot of marriages break up, because men are more in love with the feelings and devotion they get at work than at home. So maybe you work for for power. Maybe you work for purpose. Maybe you work so you have something to complain about. How you doing? Busy? Busy what? Busy working, of course, right? That you have something to, to complain about. Or maybe you work because this is your identity. Work becomes your identity. Hi, I'm Dwight. Who are you? I'm a doctor. That's a really weird thing for your parents to name you, right? Like, who are you? And so often we become so entrenched in our, our work, our vocation, our idea of who we should be that we don't even know who we are anymore, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But why do you work? You individually, why do you work? What I want to do this morning, I had two options of how I could go at this sermon. One would be a historical understanding of work and a philosophical treatise on understanding why work exists. And you might be very intrigued to be here this morning and hear that, but tomorrow morning, Monday, I'm bringing that up again, sorry, Monday morning, you wouldn't remember anything I said. And I'm like, they're probably not going to remember anything I said anyway, so let me just go really simple, other side, mantra-type style thing, and let me be very simple. Not, not easy or dumb, but very simple as we explore work. So we're going to talk about the why of work this morning. Um, Simon Sinek, uh, if I said his name right, I've never heard him say his last name. He might say it. Sinek, I don't know. But that guy uh, wrote the, this book, did a TED Talk on why. The why of everything you do is so important. And this is what we're going to do because I think God is so about the why. He's about the motive, not the action. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? So I want to present the Christian understanding of the why work exists, why we work, and why we would be intrigued by work at all. And I think that what we're going to find is that the Christian worldview of work is full of hope. You might be here and saying, I don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but I bet that by the end of this, you'd be saying, I hope that's true. I hope that understanding of work is what's real. And if you arrive at that, I would encourage you to keep exploring because all of this worldview absolutely leads to and comes from Jesus. So here we go. The why, the why begins With God. Genesis 1. Okay, Genesis 1, first book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible as you're leaving today, please grab one. We'll put all of the scripture references up on the screen for you today, but please take a Bible home with you. Begin to read it. In Genesis 1, first book, first chapter, we see this extraordinary picture of who God is. Some of us like to have a very narrow view of who God is, but just in Genesis 1 alone, we see. This multifaceted vocational exploration and application of God. So we see that in the beginning was God. We believe that God exists, that God has always existed, never had a beginning, will never have an end. And at one point, he created time. And when he created time, he spoke and things happened. So in Genesis 1, we see this entrepreneurial, visionary CEO that says something and gets it done immediately. No red tape, no bureaucracy, no one getting in the way. It just happens. So this is who God is. But we also see that God is an artist We see that God has an artistic side, that though God speaks everything into existence, we see that when it comes to humanity, you and I, God, who has no body and no hands, takes his handless hands, okay, wrap your mind around that, takes his handless hands and forms humanity out of the dust. He's an artist. But then he's also a paramedic because he does CPR and breathes life into humanity. And we come to life. But God's also a surgeon because he took a piece of the man and made a woman out of her. So God is this extraordinary God. And he's also a gardener because he creates this garden paradise for man and woman to exist and worship him. Where God's presence was viscerally felt where they walked with God and talked to God. And then God is an appraiser. I mean, put all this together. Right? God is an artistic accountant. Find one of those. This is God. So you're like, God doesn't understand me. You j- just read Genesis 1. He understands your work, your vocation. He's an appraiser. He's an evaluator. We had someone come to put an evaluation on our roof and how much it would cost to have it redone. This is God. God comes and look at what he says. God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening, morning, the sixth day. Work, God's work isn't bad. Oftentimes we think of work and we think of songs like, I don't wanna work. I just wanna bang on the drums all day. Why? Because work sucks. I'd rather bang on a drum all day long for nine hours than work, right? That's the way we think of work. But work isn't bad. And what we see in God's work is is this. Everything God did in his work and continues to do is always good, right, and true. There's nothing wrong with what God does. Imagine if Monday morning, Genesis 131 was waiting for you. That worker that you don't like, no longer there. Genesis 131. There's, there's no strife with your boss. There's great harmony. Computers don't break. Programs don't shut down. People aren't trying to steal your job from you. Genesis 131. Everything that happens in your workplace is good, right, and true. Wouldn't that be amazing? Amazing. Yes, Dwight, it would be amazing. Thank you for responding. It would be incredible. But that's not where we live, is it? So what went wrong? What happened? How did we move from good, right, and true into what we have today? Now, I'm going to use the example of of a business and company to illustrate everything God does. God did not use this illustration, so I, I might be stretching a little bit, okay? But... But roll with it. Okay, work with me on this. Here's what God does God hires. God was sufficient in and of Himself to do everything. But what God does is He brings people onto the team not because He needed them, but because He wanted them. Not because He needed us, but because we mattered to Him. And He wanted us to have a role. So He made man in His image. When I say man, I mean humanity. He made mankind in His image. We are like God. We had worth before we worked. Before you did anything, you had worth. We have four little kids. And each time that one of these children were born, I didn't say to them, you're gonna have so much worth. I will hold you and love you as soon as you get a job that will pay enough for these diapers. And then you will find worth. Right? As soon as you start vomiting all over us all the time at all hours of the day, you will find worth. As soon as you stop crapping on us in the middle of the night, like... My mind has been uh, obsessed with these things, right? We're moving away from that. I'm so glad. But the reality is those children held worth before they ever did anything. This is the way God views his people. That you have worth before you do anything. We're not showing God how worthy we are. It's God saying you're worthy therefore. So he says to Adam and Eve, you have infinite worth put into you. Because you have this, go and do. That's beautiful. Because if it's the opposite, we have to keep wondering, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Is God's CEO visionary going to come and fire me because I did the wrong thing? This is good news. This is good news. But remember, what went wrong? Well, let me tell you about the family business. God brings us into the family business. Here's what happens. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Think of garden, not like little beet farm, Dwight Schrute thing, but think more of like paradise. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There are three things to point out quickly and I have to do it quickly. The first thing, is he says, uh, second line down, work it and keep it. So look at the keep part. Keeping is, is a maintenance function. God made everything good, right, and true. So Adam, keep it. Sometimes we look down on maintenance workers, or those who have maintenance jobs. But this is Genesis 2, second chapter in the Bible. God says maintenance is valuable. You think that maintenance workers aren't valuable? Fire all the maintenance people from the hospitals. That's going to be nasty, right? Surgeries, births, runny noses. Those are pretty much the same categories, right? Uh, It's everywhere. What do maintenance people do? They keep it clean. They keep it sanitary so that things, health can keep functioning. Some of you feel stuck. You're like, oh, I feel like I'm I'm just at this maintenance job, but yet there's glory in that job because God says there's glory there. So keep the garden, guard the garden with what is good, right, and true. If anything evil tries to get in, snuff it out. And the second is to work, and this is a going out. This is an expansion. So maintain and expand. Maintain and expand. God desires this, the book of Habakkuk, Old Testament book, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God was looking at Adam and says, I want for my glory to be enjoyed by your grandchildren's grandchildren, grandchildren's grandchildren. I want for you to bring my glory and my presence to the end of the earth so that they see how infinitely valuable I am and that they feel their worth as I walk with them on a day-to-day basis so god made us to keep and work maintain and expand but the third thing that we see is to trust that we're to trust god that god put this tree in the middle of the garden and it represented love and trust that god says don't eat of the fruit of this tree everything else is good you can do anything everything is good right and true and not eating of this tree is good right and true and that would show that they loved God more than they loved what they think that they could get from eating. That they trusted his plan instead of their own. And in fact, if a different plan were proposed, it would be an entrepreneurial path to death where things that were false and evil would actually come in. There would be a new culture. So what happens? What happens? Well, we believe the fake news. We believe fake news. A different authority slithered into the garden and said, No, God is just keeping this from me because he knows the moment you eat of this, you're gonna be just like him. But what were we? We were already like him. We were already made like him. So we believed the lie is humanity. We saw the the good news that was being offered to us that we could be objects of worship just like God. We could be co CEOs. We could have power, we could have security. So we bit we went after and what happened? Genesis 3, 17 and 19. Adam, he said, after the fact, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Does it ever feel like at your job, like everything you touch is just thorns and death? Like everything's going really well, the plan is working amazing, and then like you reach in, and you're just all cut up and you pull out a dead squirrel. I don't know what your job is, but that would be wild. But it feels like that, doesn't it? Like we're pursuing life and idealism and excitement. And then we come home at the end of the day and you're like, I just want to quit. I hate my job. It's like, but yeah, but this, this is my life, okay? Like, but you just left this morning, and everything was good. It's like, I know, but like it's not good. Nothing's good. There's thorns everywhere, dead squirrels, dead little chipmunks, like all those things. It's just bad news, Everything we do feels like it's just death. And the bad news is we did that to ourselves. We blame God you did this, but God did what was good, right, and true. We decided we would be better CEOs. So because of that, we brought the curse onto ourselves. We hijacked the work for us. Work was to bring God's glory to the ends of the earth. But we said, no, it's about our glory, how amazing we are. And it becomes a a comparative glory. I'm more glorious than he is or she is or they are. Look at the outcome of of this in in Genesis 11, chapter 4. They're building this tower. Uh, They said, this is collective humanity together. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. There's a lot to unpack here. God wanted them scattered over the face of the whole earth so that God's glory went everywhere. But instead, what do they do? No, let's collectively build a tower and make a name for ourselves. This tower is about us. This planet is about us. This life's about us. There is no God. God is dead and we're moving on. This is what we do when we're left alone. We build towers to make a name for ourselves because we forget that we're worthy You'll hear good news in just a minute, and tomorrow morning, you'll go to work, and you'll forget that you're worthy again, and you'll try and build a tower again to show how worthy you really are. This is what we do. We try and justify our existence. This is the essence of religion, that we work to show God why we're worth it. And God says, none of it can get you back in the family business. None of it can get you back in relationship with me. None of it can give you the worth that you partly lost in your rejection of me. You quit. You quit on me. Now this is bad news if this were to just continue on. So let me bring in good news. Good news, there was one person that worked everything that was good, right, and true. And this one person came to work as a servant. Didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's what he said in the book of Mark, a book in the New Testament, chapter 10. For even the son of man, this is Jesus talking. Even the son of man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And here's how he served us. I'm gonna go quick through this. He served us with his sinless life. As Jesus was on trial, this is what was happening. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him, Jesus, out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Though Pilate couldn't see sinful or sinless, he's declaring something that's true from God about Jesus. There's no guilt in Jesus. Jesus never has done what you and I do. He's never tried to build a tower for his own glory. He's never tried to steal and hijack the family business for him. He's been all about the father, all about the one who sent him. And it's his whole job he was sent for this purpose. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Thorns were introduced into creation through us. And now Jesus is wearing our damnable works as a crown on his head to say, I'm paying for this. I'm paying for the curse that you brought. You crown yourselves with these crowns of thorns to show how great you are, but I'm going to wear the curse once and for all. I'm going to remove it from you. And so he was crucified for us in our place. Isaiah the prophet predicted this 700 years before Jesus' death. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. So Jesus takes our efforts to justify ourselves, our false identity, our false works, our, our damnable good works, and he he takes them upon himself on the cross, gets put inside of the grave for three days, and then rises from the dead. And this is what we celebrate. Like every day is like Easter with those who follow Jesus because we serve a God who is alive. We don't go and visit a memorial of where he's buried. He's alive. I love it that they're still trying to figure out, well, which tomb was Jesus really buried in? Because we have no remains to do DNA stuff on. That he's alive and active and moving. He's here right now. And do you know when revival happens inside of the church? When we realize that Jesus is here and that Jesus wants to work through us and in us and that he loves us. And one day, Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna finish the work that he began by getting up out of the grave. So let me take us to the end of the story, then we'll go into us. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the last book of the Bible, Revelation, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, this is God speaking, said, Behold, I am making all things new. So when Jesus comes back, here's what's going to happen. You know, when he started everything, only good, right, and true, when he comes back, he's going to remove everything that's evil, false, abominable, damnable, gone. Everything one day is only going to be good, right, and true. And evil cannot enter into that new creation. That's where we're going. That's where we're heading. This is not a work that your church attendance or your prayer life or your Bible reading or you're doing good things or whatever can earn. This is Jesus coming back and inviting us into his work. So now we're stuck in between the resurrection and his second coming. So what do we do? What does work like, look like for us? The book of Thessalonians, Paul actually, actually rebukes them because they, th- they think that it's coming like tomorrow. So they all said like, let's all just quit our jobs and then kumbaya on the side of the mountain and like wave the flags or whatever they did. And Paul rebukes them for being lazy. He's like, don't give them any food. <laughs> they need to work, right? You can't just sit there and, and wait. We gotta be busy with what the Lord wants us to be busy about while we wait. So now, now, where I framed the the big worldview. So now what do we do? Well, now we have a new work. But it's an old work. It's just been redeemed. So our new work is to maintain and expand what is good, right, and true. That we are to maintain and expand throughout the earth so that the glory of God is seen everywhere where people are. This is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God isn't a a place with a border that you show a passport to get in. The kingdom of God is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in every nation, especially the ones that say, kingdom of God can't be here. Jesus is like, yeah, I broke your rules because my rules are better. So he places people in these closed countries. And your new identity is that of a servant. So when we talk about vocation, let me propose this. This is your vocation. You are a servant. Vocation means calling. Some of you struggle with, I don't know if I'm called to do this or do this or do this. I would say that's, that's a secondary calling. Let's call that work. Let's call that work. This morning I'm talking about your real vocation. That you are part of the kingdom of God and your vocation is to be a servant. This means that this is our job wherever we are. It never goes away. You're always on call for this. This isn't a nine-to-five thing that you punch in and out from. But we're especially a servant in the areas that we work, our secondary vocations. And as servants, here's the good news for us is that we're free. We're really free. We don't have to build towers or programs or develop things to show God how worthy we really are. We're free. We're free to actually serve. And it's not our resources that we're drawing from. We're drawing from his resources. That he places his spirit inside of us so that we're not serving out of our power, but his power. We're not talking about finite things, but infinite things. We're not talking about temporal change, but eternal change. This is a type of work that the Lord wants to do through every one of his people. That instead of planting the seeds of our greatness and our CVs and our resumes and our platforms, we plant seeds of his greatness everywhere we go. We, we preach, Count Zinzendorf said this, preach, die, be forgotten. But I'll, I'll reapply this. Work, serve, die, be forgotten. But you're not forgotten by God. He's going to remember you in everything you do. That we don't work to find worth, we work because we already have it. So how does this actually work out? Well, let me go to the passage that Brian read for us earlier. This is just going to be a long application, okay? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, book of the New Testament, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. And this is him writing to people who are used to households. There weren't massive buildings where everyone went to go and work. Most people worked in their household or in the marketplace. Okay, so it was small economy, well, big economy, because it was everyone, but it was done out of the home usually. So he's speaking using home languages, home language. Uh, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So this should be our pattern of servant vocation. Let me say a few things about this. Whatever you do, says whatever you do, verse 23, whatever you do, this means that all jobs are sacred. Now, I get it. There are limits to that. Um, We're not going to say that someone who produces child pornography, that's a sacred job. That's not. That's evil, false, and that will be removed. We're not saying people who take bribes and do things unjustly, that's a sacred job. That's not. That needs to be removed and identified and brought to the light and taken away. So I get that there are certain limitations to this, but if we're working a job that isn't violating the moral law of God, then all jobs are, are sacred. There's no break between the clergy and laity. None. God says through Peter in the New Testament that we're a priesthood of believers, that we're all priests. This means that whatever your job is, whether you're a professor, a donut maker, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a, a preacher, whether you're a banker, whether you're a cop, whether you're in the military, whether you're, whatever you're doing, that is a sacred calling given to you by God. And for so many of you, you're like, I can't wait to get out of this, and you're missing the point that God put you here not on accident, but that his greatness would be sewn into the fabric of what you're doing now. Now. Your job isn't a stepping stone to something greater. You're only thinking about yourself in that moment. Your job right now is so that the glory, goodness, rightness, and truth of God can be sown into that reality today or tomorrow morning. Whatever you do is sacred. And because we're servants, we don't work the same as everyone else. How hard would it be if you have a horrible boss? You would expect the Lord to say, bondservants, servants, only obey if you have a good master. But he says, no, no, no. Obey your master in everything because you're not working for them, you're working for me. You're showing them something about who I am by the way that you work humbly, even doing things that you wouldn't choose to necessarily do. Don't work the same as everyone else. Work for the Lord because as you're working for the Lord, he's working through you. It's really his work. So you don't have a job as a teacher Jesus has a job as a teacher, just working through you. And that's true. We have to do all of the mind work and heart work to begin to believe that. I'm not, I'm not preaching this morning out of my authority, right? It's, it's his authority. Jesus is speaking to his people, right? I'm just like a conduit for that. That's who we are that doesn't reduce our worth at all. We also don't need to obsess about advancement. I hear so much about self-advancement. Self-advancement. I need to get myself out there and network. And that's good and fine in one sense. But if that's your idol, like you have a little god somewhere hidden in a closet and it's, it's called, you know, whatever, the, the ideal resume, And everything in your life is being sacrificed so you can get to that thing. When you get to that thing, you will be deeply disappointed. When you finally get everything that you ever dreamed about, you will be so sad. It's not enough to grip your heart. Your heart was made for eternity, not for a placement, not for something you can earn you were made for something that you can't even earn yourself. You don't need to obsess about your advancement. The Lord places his people where he wants. So do you trust him? Adam and Eve didn't trust him. We don't trust him. But will you keep turning back to him when you don't? Lord, I, I felt like I had to advance my little kingdom. felt like I had to move forward my agenda. And Lord, I repent of that. That's going to bring death and things that are not good. And I want to turn back to you and trust you. And even though I don't understand the way that things are working right now, I believe that what you want is your glory everywhere. So do you trust him? Let me illustrate this by telling you a story of Joseph. Joseph, uh, Genesis chapter 37 to 50 talks about this guy named Joseph. And Joseph had this interesting dream. I think we need to be discerning with the dreams that we share the people we share them with. So Joseph is the youngest brother. You know, think of him as like 12, 13, had older brothers upwards of like 40, probably really big. Joseph's probably puny. And he comes to his brothers one day. He's like, hey guys, come here, come here. I had a dream. And they're like, oh, okay, what's up? He's like, I had a couple dreams that you worshipped me. And he had 10 older brothers. And he gathered them all around for this little discourse. And so one day they took advantage of, of him and they said, ah, here comes the dreamer. He came out in in daddy's little coat. He had a, a rainbow coat, right, coat of many colors, showing how special he was to his father. His father wasn't the best dad either, okay? It's amazing when you read the Bible, you don't find a lot of good examples, and yet these are the people that God used. So if you're like, I wouldn't be a good example, well, then you're probably in a great place for God to use you. So Joseph comes wearing his coat of many colors singing, I'm daddy's favorite, and comes out, and they're like, hey, let's kill him. Right? Because that's what you do. You just snuff out the little brother. And instead of killing him, because they would feel bad about that, uh, they put him inside of a pit naked, because that's so much better. And then when they saw people coming who might want to buy this little naked, you know, sad kid, uh, they sold him to go be a slave. And so there's this whole thing that goes on, and he ends up going to Egypt, He had a dream that his brothers were going to worship him, but instead his brothers stripped him naked and sold him to Egyptians. And he goes into this house, he's serving this guy named Potiphar, everything he touches turns to gold. It's like the Midas touch. Everything Joseph does, the Lord is with him. So one day, um, Potiphar's wife wants Joseph, she's been checking him out, grown up a little bit, and Been watching him, and she wants him, so she decides today's the day, and he refuses. He says, I can do anything in Potiphar's house except have you, and so I'm going to serve your husband, and I'm going to walk away. And she grabs for him, and he loses his garment. Again, he's leaving the scene naked in a sense. And she lies and says, ah, he tried to rape me, he tried to sleep with me. So they believe this woman, and he gets put back in jail. I can imagine being Joseph, being so bummed out, like, Lord, I am being pure in everything I do. I could have had this woman, and I didn't. And now I'm in jail? Are you kidding me? I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing for you and your glory, and here I am. We don't hear that discourse from Joseph. Instead, he keeps serving. So he served his father, he served Potiphar, and now he's serving in jail, And everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. And he interprets dreams for people. And and the jailer actually just gives Joseph the key. He's like, here you go. Like, you run the prison. It's like, you know I could get out. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. But you're not going to. They just know Joseph. So Joseph is serving as he's in jail. And you can imagine him with all the questions. He interprets dreams for these two servants of the king. And he says, hey, when you go back to the king with the interpretation, don't forget about me. I'm here. Right? This is one, like, take my resume with you, please. I don't want to be here anymore. And they forget. And Joseph gets stuck there again until one day, Pharaoh has a dream about this destruction that was going to happen. And so he says I need the interpretation and one of these servants remembers ah a long time ago there was this guy in jail who interpreted the dream that I had maybe we should call him so they called Joseph up Joseph interprets a dream and he went from jailer being in jailed to being second in the world in like a second Now if you're Joseph if you're Joseph you're just going to be angry you're going to be bitter You're going to be thinking about your brothers who got you into this in the first place. Right? How do I inflict pain onto these guys? But finally, he gets to see his brothers. He gets to provide for them. And he's been serving all along. And look at what Joseph says when he sees his brothers. And this is all done. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Like they're trying anything. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Like this is a lie. They're just lying to get on his good side. It didn't matter. And, And now please forgive the servants. If we're in Joseph's place, we're gonna ask, God, why are you doing all this? Why are you making me go through all of this? And ultimately for Joseph, it was so that he could bring what is good, right, and true to the world through this man, Joseph. And, and all of these things were preparing him for that moment. You see, you don't know the scope of your reach. You don't know what God has designed for you to actually do in this life. You have no idea what tomorrow is actually going to bring. But the one that you serve has infinite reach. The one that you serve has infinite reach. So we can trust him inside of our, our work, inside of our vocation. And we'll end with, with this piece that your vocation of serving, or rather, your vocation as a servant, is to benefit others. That Jesus said everything boils down to loving God and loving others. So your work is to exp- work to maintain and expand the glory of God and His goodness, rightness, and truth, and to love other people. That your work is about other people. There's this interesting concept called job crafting. Here's the definition, Uh, the process by which employees alter elements of their jobs and work relationships to find greater meaning and alignment with their individual needs. Now this breaks up into two different places. I read this from this thing called Project Rework, New Endeavor by one of my buddies, Emilio. He started it, uh, good gospel stuff that's trying to make its way into very secular workplaces, good stuff. But it's broken up into positional job crafting where you can just make your job better for you Or social job crafting, where you stop just looking at yourself and you look around at other people and you say, how can I make this better for them? How can I focus on others? You begin to see that I'm sent within my workplace to love these people around me. So if this is our calling, the question is, do you know the people you work with? Not like do you know their names? Can you fist pound them, high five them? No, you know maybe their their spouse's name because not that. Do you really know them? Do you know what they need? What they need? Do you know what they struggle with? Do you know their issues? Do you know what's going on at, at home? And do you know their past? Do you, Do you really know them? Do you take time to to eat with them? This is a simple application. How do you get to serve others? Eat with them. I buy them lunch. And then don't talk about you and how great you are. Listen, so, um, you know, what's your hope of work? Like, why, why are you doing this? What, what, what's the outcome? Like, what's your final resume look like that you want? What are you, what are you living for? Right, really get, those are nice softball questions, right? Like, but when you ask why questions to things, you get to the heart, and you get there quickly. So if I have lunch with you, I'm probably just asking you why. I've given you my whole thing. Because you get to the heart of why people actually do the things that they do. So we eat with people, we listen to people, and then we begin to meet their needs and we bless them. We bless them. I read an article um, by Project Rework this, this past week, and it, and it talks about this social job crafting. And it asks the questions Is there, is there a colleague struggling personally or professionally? And then how can you be supportive? To them. How can you be supportive to them? My buddy Emilio, he would never tell you this about himself, and I wouldn't tell him I was telling this story either. But Emilio loves the people he works with. He's very gifted, very talented at what he does, but he cares a lot about the people around him. And he was applying this. He would eat with people. He'd listen to what was going on. And Emilio, he's kind of a weirdo in this way, that he loves reading peer research academic papers on work. I'm like, that's so boring. Like, and, and he does. He loves it. But he doesn't love just doing it for himself. He hears people that are struggling in their workplace. He will read 10 academic papers for them in the course of two days, write up a three-page summary of what they're working through, and drop it on their desk. And he just did this for years with no one, no one really saying anything. Just like, thank you, this is so strange. But a few months ago, someone was like, like, who are you? Like, who, is this the first time you've ever done it? And he goes, no, 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 I do this a lot. And he just, like, moves on. But the guy actually tracks him down. He's like, why did you do this? Like, no one does this type of stuff. Because Emilio understood that he's not there for him. He's there for others. And he has a, a delight and a joy of reading these horrible papers for other people so that they can be the ones that are advancing. Now, if you're gonna do this type of stuff, you're gonna need to be the one that's initiating. You're gonna need to be the one that's vulnerable and brave, probably. But your job is gonna have so much more meaning to it as you begin to craft it around God and others. How can I serve? Now, if you are a servant, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to be taken advantage of. So is Jesus. You're going to be seen as weak. But you are. And you're going to be overlooked at times. But not by Jesus. Jesus didn't forget about Joseph. At just the right time, he elevated Joseph to what he needed him to do. Here's the thing. God has sent you into your workplace, into your vocation, To serve, to bring his greatness and to serve others. And it's his power at his time. So here's the call. You are a chaplain. You're a chaplain. They send chaplains into places where the church can't necessarily be, so we send representatives into places like war or sports teams. So you are a chaplain sent by God into your workplace to live out your vocation as servant? So the question, here we go. Stay with me. I know you're like, I can't wait to move. I gotta pee. Whatever, I don't care. Just sit there, okay? A few more seconds. How will you live out your new identity tomorrow morning? How are you gonna do that? How are you gonna say, self, I am a servant of the Lord. And as I'm going to work, I'm not thinking about my stuff I need to do. I'm thinking about the other people and what they have to do and how I can serve them with your goodness, rightness, and truth. Because as you go back to work tomorrow, you're not the boss, and your boss actually is Jesus. He sent you into that place to accomplish things for him. Your vocation is to serve, and your work is to bring what's good, right, and true into the most crummy, false, evil, deceptive situations so that you can begin to show a different worldview than one that people have ever experienced or even thought of before. So, so the calling is, will you quit your Babel work? Will you quit your Babel work of trying to build your little tower? Would you stop looking at your work to provide things that it can't actually provide? And will you serve all that the Lord bring to you? Because if you say yes, he's gonna do it. And if you say no, he's going to do it as well. And then you're just going to have to work out the, the junk in your heart of why you won't do it. But you know your vocation. You know your worth. You know your calling. So now the Lord is saying, I'm sending you in the power of the Spirit to go and transform your workplace through the vocation that I've given to you. And behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. Jesus is with you. In your daily grind, Jesus is with you when you need, you think you need coffee, you think you need adrenaline, you think you need these things, but you actually need his spirit to refresh you. Will you take Holy Spirit smoke breaks throughout the day? I think smoke breaks are the smartest and most horrible thing in the world. It's brilliant. You get to actually leave what you're doing and go take a break where no one talks to you. And you get to be refreshed, not refreshed, okay? But the Holy Spirit invites us to the same thing. Take Holy Spirit breaks throughout the day. Spirit of God, I want to build my kingdom. I don't want to serve these people. I don't like these people. But dang it, you made them and you love them. Would you impress that on my heart? And I'm going to go back in that room, a servant of the Lord. And I left that room before, a servant of Babel. Just like that, the Lord can transform you. Take these Holy Spirit smoke breaks throughout the day to be refreshed and reminded of who you are, what he's done, and why you're actually there. Lord, thank you that your work is is perfect. You did the work we couldn't do. You rescued us. You've given us a new identity, one that can't be taken away. Lord, I I pray for us that we would stop building these, these little towers that are, that are like children's Legos that just get kicked over by the next person that walks in the room. Lord, you are calling us to participate in building a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that that one day will wipe out all other kingdoms, a kingdom of things that are only good, right, and true. We get to participate in that. Would you awaken our hearts? Holy Spirit, we can't raise our own affections for these things. We can't fixate ourselves on doing these things because if we set out tomorrow to do these things we'll fail but you spirit will remind us that you are here you're with us that you give us the power and the ability to be able to love people as you jesus love people and and you love people unto death so maybe we're even called to do that to, to love our co-workers unto death would you help us understand what that even means Lord, we need you in all of this, and we pray for Montreal that this city would become the most saturated city in the world with your presence. We pray for this room now that you would saturate this room with your presence, that we wouldn't feel guilt, but we'd feel freedom, that we wouldn't feel condemnation, but exaltation of you, Jesus, that this is a place where we don't need to perform, but we can rejoice that you perform perfectly for us, Jesus. We love you and we need you. Amen.